Son of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The epistle reading today is from St. Paul's second letter to Timothy. 
and together with his first letter to Timothy as well as his letter to Titus, we have what are called the pastoral letters because they provide important counsel to the shepherds of the flock. Timothy was an apostle of the 70, and we commemorate him on January 22nd. And though his father was a pagan and his uh, mother and grandmother were Christians, he was reared in a home where his faith was developed by those two women. In fact, they're credited for the, the amount of strength and faith that he had in God. In his first letter of St. Paul, Timothy was counseled on how the church should function and also how people should uh, function with one another in relationship within the church. Paul had a lot of affection toward Timothy and he referred to him in his first letter as his son, but in his second letter he referred to him as my beloved child. And at the beginning of his second letter, St. Paul begins by saying, I constantly remember you. In my prayers, night and day, longing to see you, even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. You can see the, the, the very intimate and loving relationship that Paul had for this young disciple. And his second letter, it is full of encouragement. And it's encouragement, obviously, that Timothy needed because of his own struggles, but also because St. Paul had just written to him and shared with him that his time had come and he had finished his life. But in this second letter, we hear things such as, Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who have saved us and called us with a holy calling. He says to Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He encouraged him to suffer hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, to be diligent in presenting himself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed of what he is teaching and to handle the word of truth that he's been given with accuracy. To pursue righteousness, faith and love and peace, these above all are the greatest things. And to preach the word and to be ready in season and out of season to reprove, to rebuke and exhort with great patience and instruction. Paul wanted to hand down to him not only the message of the gospel, but the way that that message needed to be delivered and the way that he needed to present it to people and the way he needed to present himself before people. Then Paul says the following, which we read this morning, Be sober in all things, endure hardships, do the work an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Why does St. Paul say these things to his disciple? First of all, being an evangelist was directly linked to hardship. There was nothing glamorous about it. And even the most faithful would struggle with faint-heartedness at times. And even St. Paul knew this. The same is true for each of us today. We are called to be sober in thoughts and deeds, to endure various hardships of life that come our way, and yet to remain faithful to our Lord until we finish this life. When St. Paul wrote these words, he was offering encouragement to Timothy. 
Chrysostom said that Paul desired to console the despondency of his disciple and bids him to be of good cheer, since he would in time receive the crown. When St. Paul refers to as the good, good fight, these are the numerous hardships he was permitted to endure for the sake of spreading the gospel and to thousands of people. We could ask, what made the fight good for Paul if there was imprisonment, shipwrecks, starvation, and beating? What would be good about that? It's good because of what it leads to, and that is the crown that one receives, a crown that is without end. St. John Chrysostom says that the crown is not made of olive branches, and the good fight doesn't have people for spectators or a human referee. The arena in which St. Paul is competing was filled with angelic hosts, and the crown that is worn is to be worn forever. The fight is also good because of the beneficiary. It is not only the one who wins the contest, but the spectators also win. This good fight of which St. Paul speaks draws all people up to the kingdom of heaven. When a champion is crowned for an earthly competition, that person alone or that team alone receives a crown or a trophy. But the good fight, once it has been accomplished, has brought many others to the very same place as the victor. All of this St. Paul says to Timothy to exhort him to press on and not become faint-hearted, but to be diligent and to love the Lord's appearing. What does it mean, though, to love His appearing? St. Paul says that the crown of righteousness is not only for him to acquire, but also for everyone who loves the Lord's appearing. What it means is this. It means to look forward to His coming and to live day to day in joyful expectation of His return. We often hear about the Lord's second coming associated with dread and with fear. But for for St. Paul and for those who love Christ dearly, his second coming is actually a joyful event. To love his appearing means to wake each morning and to put into our minds the first thing, our Lord, the giver of life and the one who sustains us. It means to think of him, to remember him and all that he has done for us with a spirit of deep gratitude. It means to go to bed each night giving thanks for having another day where we could honor our Lord. This is what it means to love the Lord's appearing. For those who love His appearing, Chrysostom says, they perform works worthy of His joy each and every day. The one who loves His appearing will do everything to ensure before the second coming a particular coming to Himself. In other words, before the second coming of Christ, we will do everything to invite Christ into every aspect of our life. There won't be an aspect of our life where Christ isn't the guiding principle. There won't be a place, a relationship, or anywhere where He is not our Lord and our guide. To receive the crown that has no end, the crown from above, we must seek those things that are above and be patient in our afflictions and allow Christ to fill all areas of our life. If our minds are focused on what we can obtain only in this life, then we miss the mark and we are not fighting the good fight. If we do not strive to endure our afflictions with patience and thanksgiving, we will not be fighting the good fight. Look at the servant of God, Job, whose suffering was very great, yet he suffered with thankfulness. And he was justified, not because he suffered, but because in suffering he endured thankfully. 
May our souls be strengthened and our hearts encouraged as we look at the crown to be acquired at the end of this life. We all look for something to acquire or accomplish on this earth, and when we attain it, we feel a sense of joy, a sense of happiness and contentment, but that doesn't last forever. Now we're looking for the next one. There is nothing wrong with setting goals or working diligently to accomplish them in this life, whether it's school or work or relationships. These things are fine. However, we should not allow earthly goals to trump the greatest goal of life, which is the attainment of the kingdom of heaven. When our souls are strengthened, nothing will appear grievous to us. But when our souls are weak, we will find a grievance in everything, Chrysostom says. St. Paul's second letter to Timothy is full of encouragement for a beloved son in Christ, who he knows is being tested and tried. And we can all relate to such trials and struggles because each of us is going through something, something we'd rather not have to go through. But like our Lord said to St. Paul, who desired that the thorn be removed from his side, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. We all have a certain capacity to endure, and then we ask for more grace from God to go on, even in the most difficult circumstances. Chrysostom said, The tree whose roots are fixed deeply in the earth is not shaken by the most violent storms. But if the roots are not deep, a slight gust of wind will knock the tree over. However, if we rivet our thoughts on God, if we thirst with love for Him, all that we desire will be ours, and we shall obtain the good things to come. And that doesn't mean we will get all the material things that we want. That's not what he means by all of your desires. All that we desire means our heart's most true and pure desire, which is not a thing, because no thing and no person can fulfill our heart's desire in the truest sense, in the fullest sense. What our heart desires more than anything is one person and one deep abiding relationship, and that is with Jesus Christ, our Lord and Creator. We may try to fill our hearts with other things and find contentment and happiness, but it will not last. It will be fleeting. Everything else will be a cheap substitute for the one person and the one relationship that our heart desires the most. Only one person can fill our heart's desire, the one who created our hearts and the one who has given us life. And for this reason, we fight the good fight. Amen.